0: Welcome to the We Talk Careers podcast, brought to you by Women in ETFs. This is Christine Delano, and I'm thrilled you've joined me. If you're pursuing excellence in your own career or intrigued by the hustle required for a career on Wall Street, this podcast is for you. We've made all this advice accessible. Grab your own Thrive Guide with a workbook on leadership skills at christinedelano.com. So put aside that massive to-do list and let's get inspired. On this episode, we're talking about indexing your career. I have no idea what that means? I don't blame you. I didn't either. What we might know, and we'll learn more about, is index-based investing. It can be more efficient, easier to access, and can help you maintain an edge. But how can you apply those principles to your career, and why would you want to? Well, today I'm joined by Joy Yang. She is the head of index product management and marketing at Market Vector Indexes. Joy has more than 25 years of investment experience, having led teams delivering index and quantitative active investment solutions. Joy has an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and a BS in electrical engineering. Joy was born to Chinese parents in Taiwan and currently lives in New York City. She holds both U.S. and U.K. passports, so she can speak both football and football. Welcome, Joy, to the We Talk Careers podcast. Thank you, Christine. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So last time we were together in person, it was actually the winter, but we were sitting under such a hot sun mm. in Miami. Oh my goodness, it was beautiful, like right on the water. It was gorgeous. Indeed. And I think I had uh, what fish tacos and I can probably still taste them. They were so, so good.
1: I know the views, the weather, the smell of the ocean. It was really nice.
0: <laughs> it was. It was so nice. It was so nice. And so we got to know each other. You had just joined the Women in ETFs board. i so happy to have you on it. And it was really fun. And I felt like I learned a lot about you. And so when I was reading your bio, okay, I got to this point, which was totally unique for me. And it said, a race through life to release your inner sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my
1: name is Joy, so there's got to be some, you know, fun stuff going on.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. So did your parents like focus on that? Was that, was Joy something that was kind of a, a metaphor for your life? I think so because my,
1: you know, I was born with a Chinese name, so this is somewhat of a English translation of my Chinese name, and it kind of like, you know, I, I would say people would tend to say I'm a happy person rather than a <laughs> unhappy person.
0: Yes, yeah. So what is your what is your name in Chinese?
1: It's Mu Jie, which is kind of like um, aspiring or wishing to be. It's more literally it's clean, but I think it means more.
0: It's more aspirational? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So I'm excited to have you on today because we are just like the metaphor for joy for your life. We're actually really exploring this metaphor on indexing. And so maybe kick us off with a story that helps us understand what indexing means to you.
1: Sure. Well, I studied finance at University of Chicago, and my dream or aspiration was to be a star fund manager. So a Warren Buffett, someone who is so well respected for his investment views and his stock picks are, you know, they have legions of followers, you know, following his stock picks. And if I Mm. graduated today, it would probably be somebody like Kathy Woods, But, you know, when you first graduate, nobody's going to give you a portfolio to manage. So I got a job in research in a traditional active portfolio management shop based in San Francisco. And while I was doing that, I saw a job posting for a passive portfolio management role at an index company just around the corner. And it was a small company. I'd never heard of it. But it was a portfolio management role. So I applied for it and got it. As a researcher working for an active portfolio management company, I had my own office. I had a beautiful view of the San Francisco Bay River. And then I switched jobs, started this portfolio management job at an index company. And they literally seated me in the hallway. I had a desk that was in the hallway. People were like running up and down the hallway. And, you know, so for a split second, I was thinking, did I make the wrong choice, (laughs) having my own office to like this bizarre open office plan But you know, I did not look back from that. And I think, you know, even then. You know, when I first started, I thought, well, maybe this is just a temporary role for me to get portfolio management experience. And then I would go back to active fund management, because even then, you know, people thought of indexing and passive portfolio management as a boring job where all people did was push a button all day because you don't select stocks. You really kind of just replicate an index. And so there's no views on, you know, which stocks will outperform or what the market is doing. But I, I think the most exciting thing about what I learned is that, yes, you know, being a passive portfolio manager in an index company, you do just push a button. But, you know, the exciting thing is you get to design that button and in the index space, data quality and speed is so critical. So you're constantly thinking about how can I reduce manual errors? How can I automate process? How can I make things more efficient and, you know, reduce costs? So there's always a way to kind of think about how do you integrate technology? How do you innovate, scale, and improve? And because my background is in engineering, those were like natural kind of uh, spaces for me to add value because I was, you know, very interested in optimizing processes and doing that. And it just so happened this small indexing company that I was working with came out with a product called iShares. So mm. I was one of the first portfolio managers to work on iShares. And today, it's one of the biggest, most successful ETF funds in the industry. And that active company I work for is no longer in existence. So, you know, those are all like clearly in terms of innovation, the index board has a lot of, you know, places you can innovate. And I think the other, you know, kind of important lesson that I learned was that there is a difference between delivering value and being valuable. So my desire to be a portfolio manager or focus on my own success was about how valuable I could become. But I think what ultimately I found in this experience is that working on something that had a huge impact, and certainly I shares in the ETF industry had huge impact, was something much more interesting to me. You know, I got to manage emerging market funds and emerging market ETFs, and I got to go to countries like Turkey and Greece. And you know, we didn't go to like try to find you know what is the best Turkish or Greek stock in the market. We went to Speak to the exchanges and the custodians, and we're trying to share knowledge about how do you like improve capital markets in the space? You know, how do you improve investability for investors? So it's now hugely exciting for me to see that some of these markets have graduated from emerging market status and are now available for foreign investors and they attract capital to the local economy. So, those are all really much more exciting things for me, than being the next Warren Buffett, which I think I was never going to <laughs> achieve anyways.
0: Well, and I, I love thinking back on your story too, where had you been focused on the trappings of the job, right? Being seen as valuable by, you know, your office placement, the number of windows you had, the view, <laughs> you know, all of those pieces, which are a big control issue for a lot of people, right? You know, I'm not going to take this job because it doesn't have the trappings that that I've come to expect that prove that I'm valuable to an organization. You know, had that been your metric for your success of your career early on, you never would have taken that job. And, you know, I I think helping younger people in their careers or even people, you know, at their height of their careers, really understanding what they need to value as part of their career, what opportunities come with this huge expense account, you know, these great offices, all of those pieces, but some opportunities that come with just this availability of seeing a brand new world like you did, right? Mm. You know, you came early to something that was going to explode and being able to see that was in the end far more valuable for you.
1: Yeah. And I also feel like I thought being secluded in an office would really help me focus. But I think, you know, the environment of talking to your colleagues, speaking back and forth, kind of breathes an excitement and it inspires, you know, you guys to talk about ideas. And so, you know, I'm kind of like looking at this world where we're now in Zoom and working from home. And hopefully there's still some ways for us to connect. And, you know, it could be virtual we still may need physical offices, but I'm hoping that this new generation comes in, that they still kind of understand that, you know, connecting with people is very valuable. No matter how you do it, whether it's virtual or in the office, you know, find ways to do that.
0: Right. Because in the end, you have this multiplier effect, which I think also takes me back to your comment about, for example, being in Turkey, where you're not stock picking. So you're not company picking for what you want to invest in because you have an index that's clear, but you get to have this impact by you know working with the exchanges, understanding what policy and procedures are in place, you know across governments, across you know institutions that enable the seed to rise for all of the investment opportunities in a country. So mm-hmm. instead of you know being able to highlight one company, you're actually multiplying the effect of progress across multiple companies. And I don't know that people quite understand that. you know they kind of put active management in. this is the place where it's creative and indexing not so much. So I love that that you can kind of help crack that open for us and show the creativity that goes into running a you know a highly efficient and mm. successful indexing yeah. platform.
1: I hope so, too, that people see this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about it. So define for us how indexing can be this metaphor for a career.
1: Okay. And maybe we can start with just a basic understanding of what is indexing and then why it became so successful. So for me, like very simply, indexing is basically a transparent rule that selects stocks and, you know, defines how they are weighted when grouped together. And you want to group these stocks or securities together because you want to have a proxy for either a broad market, or a subset of a market, or a theme across markets. So, you know, we can talk about the most famous example, which is probably the S&P 500, because that's an index that we talk about every day. And it's an index that provides a rule to select the top 500 companies on the U.S. market and how they're weighted. They're weighted by their simple market capitalization. But we use the S&P 500 today to think about the broad U.S. market. So are U.S. companies up today or down? You know, How did they perform year to date? Because we have an index that measures these companies and tracks them, we can look at their performance over time. And we can also look at what names are in this group of stocks. So they can be used also not only to measure and analyze, but they can be used as an investment vehicle. And so the S&P 500 has a lot of funds and ETFs that license the index. So they basically buy the index, which tells them, you know, what are the 500 names in there? What are the weights in those 500 names? And then the portfolio manager of these index funds will just buy them and replicate them so that they can have the you know, same performance as the S&P 500.
0: So I'm going to pause you there for mm-hmm. a moment because What's cool about this show is that we do have quite a few people that are in the industry that would know this like the back of their hand, but we also have people that are not in financial services. You know, maybe they are looking to grow their career in a trade or another professional you know, career. So can you just double click on this once more for us? So if someone is going and saying, how is the stock market doing today, they see a number and then what that number means and then how is it that someone can sell them a fund that would represent that number can you just kind of take us through that food chain
1: yeah so let's say you know you have an index and i, I don't I, I don't have the real time number for today but the s&p 500 has been up year to date uh, maybe around 20% and what that means that um the s&p 500 is a list of 500 names, approximately, sometimes it's not 500, but you're holding these names at a certain weight. So if you're constructing a portfolio, you know, the top names would be Apple, Amazon, um, Netflix, NVIDIA. So you would those names exactly the way the index is designed at the weight. So maybe, you know, 4% in Apple, 3% in Amazon, down the list. And you're holding a diversified list of names in technology, banks, gas, consumer discretion, you know, names across the whole broad US market. And these names, if Apple was up, you know, uh, I don't know, 20% and you're holding at 5%, you get that slice of that performance. But if another name, let's say Exxon was down 10%, but you're only holding at a 1% weight, that negative performance is going to counter the positive performance of these names, but you're holding a broad basket of stocks in a portfolio as a fund. Um, so together, you're going to get a weighted performance of all the names you're holding. So you can buy one name and That name can be up one day or down the next day. But if you buy a basket of names, you're diversified across names that may go up or may go down. But hopefully, you know, um, on the whole, they'll give you a positive return with protection on the downside.
0: So that makes a lot of sense. And so just one more sentence on that. But as folks are thinking about this, that, you know, aren't versed in financial services, anyone can go in and buy some of these stocks themselves, right? So they can decide, okay, I'm going to buy Apple, Amazon, Netflix, you know, a a number of those that are on the top of the S&P 500. But it's going to cost them money, each of those trades. And then they're going to have to manage each day based on how they're priced to keep those weights. And what you rely on this portfolio manager to do, right, is to assure that every day those weightings reflect those exactly. positions in the S&P 500, right? And,
1: you know, in addition to, you know, just the names, you companies have corporate action, they have rights, they have, you know, uh, voting, they have all these things, and you're holding 500 of these names, all 500 will have something going on. And, you know, you're going to maybe need to reinvest dividends. And so a portfolio manager does this, and you have to Custody your assets also, and they select a custodian to hold the assets. And you share in the costs of all of these things, including the fund manager uh, management uh, fees, with many other investors. So that, you know, if you wanted to buy a portfolio of 500 names, you'd probably have to have at least $10 million to buy those names at those weights in a reasonable amount. But, you know, in a fund, you're Getting a share of that total portfolio, then that portfolio may be 10 million, 500 million, and you own a share of that, which entitles you to a share of that performance of the whole portfolio.
0: Great. So my follow-up question: would be, you know, like why? Why additionally has this sort of indexing taken off? But I think we can start to see the answer <laughs> to that. But before yes. we do that, give us another example: S and P 500. That's huge. That's broad market, highly accessible. What else? you know, we can think, you know, go back to
1: this concept of diversification. So I don't know if people have been reading the news about semiconductors these days in AI, but NVIDIA is a semiconductor stock that is heavily involved in AI, artificial intelligent uh, ecosystem. So year to date, this one stock is up 200%. Now think of that on a much bigger scale. That's, you know, you could make a lot of money had you known in January that the stock would be up 200% now in July so we have a semiconductor index which invests in 25 semiconductor names um, which includes Nvidia is one of them but this index is not up 200% it's up about 50% because you know as a group of semiconductor stocks some of them you know are not as successful as Nvidia but in general broadly, the whole ecosystem has been kind of lifted by this interest in artificial intelligence and thoughts about where semiconductor growth is coming. So I think the benefit of being diversified, you know, you may not, you wouldn't have known NVIDIA was going to outperform so strongly at the beginning of the year. And then now at this point, you still don't know how it's going to do the next six months. But buying a group of stocks that, Broadly has similar profiles to Nvidia. You know, you have a better potential of capturing any number of the names that may all of a sudden have this disruptive growth on the back of uh, the semiconductor boom. And this is kind of the concept of diversification. You know, you're investing in a group of stocks that have. Characteristics that you think will outperform, and one of them may, but you know you, you you won't get the big bang performance because you're not holding it as a single stock. You're holding a group of these stocks, but on the other side of the uh, equation, and we saw Nvidia had underperformed the market, it was down almost 50% in 2022. So you're somewhat also protected on the downside by kind of these severe volatility and whiplash that you may have by just holding one single stock.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So so drill us into why indexing has taken off. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty clear to yeah. see on this. I think we cover
1: most of it, which is one, <laughs> yeah. um, transparency. It's rule-based, and we talked about the rule. 2 it's diversification so we talked about benefits of diversification and then 3 it's low costs and i think it's low costs primarily because for index and passive managers they understand that any kind of incremental costs can compound over the long term and have a significant impact on performance. So, I think most passive managers and indexes have this focus on the long term. So, they're trying to when they design, you know, starting from the index provider when they design an index, they're trying to reduce turnover, which can lead to higher transaction costs. They're trying to reduce implementation costs, you know, such as the expense of investing in some of these very difficult to trade markets and so they're trying to also as a fund manager using an index they're trying to build in scale automate process kind of really make the process more efficient and and you don't have to pay for a star fund manager so all of these components reduce costs and in turn a fund manager is able to sell a fund at a lower fee because their input costs are lower So the attraction of, you know, the index funds and passive portfolio management process is that they've been able to sell very similar strategies at a very low cost.
0: So how does that relate back to our career? If we're we're thinking about sort of this valuable way of kind of looking at investments, how does it help us visualize our career going forward?
1: Yeah. So I think the same kind of values can be applied to a career strategy. So we start with, again, transparency. For me, transparency is about sharing ideas, success and failures. And Christine, I love what you do with your podcast series. You're talking to really interesting women and we get to learn from their success and failures for free. You know, um, you publish the Thrive Guide. So these are all kind of lessons learned or concepts that you're sharing with, you know, maybe people just coming into the industry or, you know, people who are stuck in a particular role that they have this guide that they can, you know, come and, you know, a resource they can use. So that's transparency for me in a career, you know, always trying to learn from others and seek out your resources. And then diversification, so that, again, is being open to learning new tasks or subjects, open different doors, even if they seem closed, because, you know, you might be the one to hold that door open for others, you know, for me, it's meeting these different types of people in the ETF industry. Women in ETFs is such a unique opportunity to meet different people. You know, we have we have people who are actually competitors in the industry and we have people who are, you know, covering the whole spectrum of back office, front office, who are members of women in ETF. And, you know, it's a great place to connect, network, and just share ideas from different people in different roles. And so even myself, I was considering it, you know, I wanted to be an active manager that I thought I'd try this indexing role. And I've, you know, I'm still here in, in the indexing <laughs> world because, you know, it's a great place to be. And then I think lastly, we have the low cost, which, you know, for me, really, it's a way of thinking about the long term, have a long term focus, you know, your career isn't built overnight, don't stop with one goal, it's, you know, continue on that journey, consider what makes you thrive, not just the end goal, because it's a long journey. And I think you, you should just enjoy it while you're um, getting to the end goal.
0: I was thinking quite a bit about this when we were talking about indexing as sort of this metaphor for your career. And I was thinking about the diversification angle that you just spoke about with having all these different opportunities within a career and being discerning about what those opportunities are. And I would say almost without fail, every person that we've had on this podcast has talked about these pivot points within their career where you know they had this idea, like for you, I'm going to be this active manager. You know, like Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> okay. We might we might strike that. Or maybe funny. we'll keep it in. That's just yeah. fun. That's just fun. Like Warren Buffett. So, um, but instead, you know, you're looking at how can I get the portfolio management experience at a different firm without the trappings that I was used to, but maybe I'll learn something. And I would say that that sort of angle of diversification has been so key to so many of the careers of the women that have been on the show and the men. Like none of them have had this A to B and B is at retirement and A is what they thought they would be retiring from, you know, Mm. like it's always this discernment through diverse opportunities and increasingly diverse teams and diverse ways of thinking. And so I think that at your peril, you don't see diversification as a good thing to embrace in your career. So thank you for that reminder.
1: It's a big lesson for me because I'm always constantly thinking about, you know, what I want to learn next and that opens up new doors and trying new things. You know? So, you know, it's, I think the world is changing too quickly for me to think that it can go in the direction I forecast. <laughs>
0: Right, right. And for you, you know, we talk a lot about what an indexing portfolio manager does and how you're designing that button, which I absolutely love um, thinking about that piece of it. But honestly, you're probably doing less of that now. You're speaking more, you're traveling more, you're impacting more of the diverse and forward thinking plans that companies have. So tell us a lesson learned story as you have sort of migrated in your career to being more of an influencer to, to those in the industry. What would you say to those that are you know, coming up to fill those jobs in, in portfolio management or even before?
1: Mm. So um, when I first started out, you know, it was the case where I've had the least knowledge in the room and was listening to the influencers and the people who had the credibility and experience. And I just thought I, I should just sit and listen. And if something didn't make sense, then I was probably the one that missed the point. So I didn't want to ask stupid questions because I thought everybody else got it but me, right? And so now that I'm out there speaking and talking about the subjects, I'm actually truly disappointed when there is no one asking questions and it truly is there's no stupid questions only stupid and you know stupid people in the room who think that they're too either scared to ask the questions or already know the answer because I think there's certainly absolutely there's value to reiterate basic concepts and for me, even as the speaker, I want to learn something. And it's the interactive discussions that I'm having with the people in the room where we all learn from some new information or some new way of looking at things. And that's also the things that I'm looking forward to. You know, so if you're not going to ask me questions, I'm going to ask you <laughs> questions. Yeah.
0: Fair warning to those <laughs> that invite you to speak. Absolutely. That's great. So how does your career stay exciting? You know, so you're speaking a lot. You obviously know this space. What's new and brewing in a world of designing buttons?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, so we're um, now I work for an index company and we're known for our first in the market for lots of crypto indices. So digital asset indexes, you know, we've led the markets and designing many of these indices and, I know crypto digital asset is kind of like a controversial topic because, you know, we've seen a lot of fraudulent activities in the space, but it is a nascent industry and there are people testing the boundaries. And I'm hopeful that regulation will come in and set kind of the guardrails, but there are so many talented, bright people. That I'm also hoping some of the issues that we're seeing will be resolved and will fall out, you know, where they should. And you know, Bitcoin was only launched in 2009. Stocks and funds have been around since, you know, I, I think the 1600s. So mm-hmm. it's an amazing journey in such a short time space. And what's also amazing is that we've collected data 24/7. So it's open up this new field of data analysis um, from day one. And, you know, we're testing and trying to understand the, uh, you know, what this data is telling us. So, you know, to me, it's been amazingly um, exciting, you know, having research background, but it's also, I'm seeing a lot of like young people who are interested, you know, my son is interested in talking about it. So it's, it's it's a conversation topic for us, for me to also kind of give him some of the basic concepts of investments and risks, you know, which I think is very important to know in this space.
0: Right. And pulling it back to diversification, it pulls people in outside of financial services, right, into um, a very different way of thinking about it. I mean, even those that work on blockchain, you know, it's it's all, you know, different careers and different thinkers that get us where we are. So I, I think that's great.
1: And I think it's also great that, you know, we're getting this confluence of different thinkers that are creating um, educational material and content for people, and not just siloed industry ways of thinking. And that's opened up new ways of thinking, how we think about finance, you know, how you know, what are the values of brokers and banks, you know, and how can we improve that, you know, by maybe even embedding some of these social concepts or philosophical concepts into a a financial instrument.
0: So, Joy, I know you're a reader too, so um, I would love to get your take on Um, A great book that you would recommend to our listeners? Like, what are you reading now? Or what is something that's impacted you that you think would really um, impact our listeners?
1: So very timely, I'm reading a a book called Chip War by Chris Miller. This is a nonfiction book about the semiconductor industry. And while it sounds very boring and technical, I can assure you it is not. Um, Chris Miller is a political scientist. So he tells you know, the story of the chip industry from a political like battleground and, you know, how we came to be that there are three dominant companies in this industry and they exist in the U.S. and Taiwan and in Korea. But also what piqued my interest is I'm an engineer. And someone had asked me, having heard Chris Miller on a podcast, and they asked me, you know, how many, how many transistors do you think you can get on a single chip? And chips are tiny, right? And I used to, my first job was soldering transistors onto a chip. So, you know, I said, oh, you know, it's going to be millions, you know. And then um, I remember my friend laughed, and he's like, no, it is tens of billions and we're going to reach trillions. And I was just like, oh my God, I've been out of, I've been out of this industry for too long. Am I so like (laughs) old that I did not know this? Um, And that's what's so fascinating that, you know, the innovation that's happening in the space at is at a microscopic level and Mm. semiconductors are in everything in our lives. You know, they're in our washing machines, refrigerators, smartphones, cars, they're in satellites, you know, so they're part of our lives. And some, some of it is so small, we don't even see it. So I, you know, to me, this is an exciting place to like understand.
0: I think it's great that you started in a million. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think many people would have started there. So uh, good job. Joy, it has been a joy to have you on the show. Really, um, I really thank you. I, I know how incredibly smart you are. So to help us break things down in simple ways that we can start to understand what it means to you know, to think of the world of indexing as well as um, ways in which we can think about our career from a, a point of transparency, diversification, and, and a long-term goal setting. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. I hope this is not just information, but you let it be transformational in how you think about your career. I'm rooting for you. To find out more about diversity, opportunity, and events in the exchange-traded fund industry, please visit womeninetfs.com. And while it lasts, be sure to grab your Thrive Guide on becoming the leader you want to be. You can download it at with a K, christinedelano.com. If you haven't subscribed to We Talk Careers podcast, please make sure you do so. And if there's a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know. All links are in the show notes. Thank you for listening.